I once saw a bumper sticker on a car that said, lead me not into temptation. I can find it myself. Although meant humorously, there is an undercurrent of truth here as well. We all know that temptation comes our way on a regular basis. A waiter puts a dessert tray under our noses when we're already pretty full from the meal we just had. We look at it and say, hmm, it's very tempting. More seriously though, we're tempted to cut corners on our taxes, to fritter away our time playing a computer game while getting paid to be on the job, to look at a man or a woman not our spouse in lustful ways, to tell lies to cover up something we don't want anybody to know about. Whether we find temptation ourselves or temptation finds us, it's a daily reality. Today on Groundwork, we take up that petition from the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. I'm Scott Jose, and Daryl, this is now uh, episode five in a six-part series here on Groundwork on the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus taught it to the disciples in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And so we've already looked at the whole prayer up until this line about temptation. And although we still have a program on the traditional final line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, the truth is that the petition in this program is actually where Jesus' model prayer ends. So we have covered a lot of ground, Scott, in the last few episodes here, and we'll get to this when we talk about the last line in the prayer, but this is the final part where Jesus ends it. And in Matthew, he continues to talk about forgiveness, and in Luke, he goes into a different topic altogether. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting how we come up with those different ways of continuing the prayer, but we also remember how Jesus is teaching us to focus on God, our relationships that we have with each other, and now temptation. Exactly. So we're on the final petition, and it is kind of a two-parter, though they're they're linked, and we'll see that. We're going to spend a good bit of this program on the lead us not into temptation part, but we will conclude with the deliver us from evil part. So those are the two parts of the petition that we're looking at. And let's begin, there with something that I think has probably occurred to a lot of us. I know it's occurred to me, probably has occurred to you. If we have to ask God not to lead us into temptation, does that mean that otherwise God would? lead us into temptation? Does God do that? Well, if we know God to be our shepherd, I could see how some people would run into that challenge. A shepherd is a leader and a person who is going to lead the sheep into the right direction. And the shepherd is supposed to have the best interest of the sheep at heart. And he cares for the sheep. So it could lead to a theological issue if you believe a good God is going to lead you into a place where you're going to be tempted, and that could lead to some theological problems, and it could lead to some faith problems in the practical. And some of us know that in some places, every once in a while, you're visiting a different church or a different tradition. Some have changed this petition in the Lord's Prayer from save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. And so putting it that way gets God off the hook as the source of the temptation, or at least as the one who somehow leads us into it. But there is actually good biblical warrant to suggest that however we understand this petition in the Lord's Prayer, God is not the source of our temptation to sin in any sense, right? So this was actively taught in the Bible. These words from James 1, verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
you just brought out a very important point that it says here, God is not the tempter. The devil is named the tempter, actually. And so we must understand the difference between test or trial and temptation. God tests quite often, but he does not tempt because that leads to sin. In Matthew 4, right? The spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, but then Matthew writes, Jesus is there to be tempted by the devil. (laughs) The devil is the tempter. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. You can be led by the Spirit into possibilities where the enemy could tempt you. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're also given an escape route by the Spirit just because this passage reminds us of that. And actually, it lets us know that Jesus himself has been through this kind of temptation. We see it in Hebrews 4. Because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to keep those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So he can connect to us. He can relate to us in his humanity, the temptation challenge. So we just looked at several passages. If we take the sum total, what do we learn? Well, yep, indeed. First, God tempts no one. Two, Jesus endured temptation so he could sympathize with us when we get tempted, same way he did. But then he also knows how to help us, right? If we lean on Jesus, he knows what we need because he knows what he needed, right? And the third thing we learned, God can actively curtail temptations, right? We can never say, Daryl, that we're helpless, right? Oh, the devil made me do it, we say. Well, The devil tempted you to do it, but you did it, right? Uh, right? Our only choice is not to cave in. Uh, God and Jesus can and will give us a way out if only we will take it. So not only does God equip us and empower us to make the right decision to choose not to sin, but he also gives us an escape route when we're under the pressure or the fire, if you will, of the temptation. So we can never absolve responsibility and say, well, my arm was twisted. I was bullied into this or the devil made me do it, so to speak. Flip Wilson can't get credit for that. But it's really important for us to know that we have the ability to follow Jesus' pattern and his example. So why did Jesus put it the way he did in the prayer, lead us not into temptation? If God never tempts us, why ask him not to lead us there? Well, again, two ways to think of it. First, Just as the Spirit led Jesus to the place of temptation in the wilderness right after his baptism, so it could be that we could be led to a place of temptation. We're not helpless once we get there, but we don't even want to be led there because Jesus was human and divine. We're only human, and so we would just as soon be spared that save us from the time of trial. The people who put it that way now in the Lord's Prayer, they're on to something, right? But I think the other uh, thing that we want to talk about, uh, Daryl, is not only that we don't want God to lead us into temptation, we want God to keep us from leading ourselves into a place of temptation, right? Yeah, it's true. If we are too confident in our own self or Mm. our own flesh, we could fall to pride because pride, we know it comes before a fall. And if we are not careful, we could overestimate our faith or our courage or our willpower or whatnot. It could put us in a situation that might get us in trouble. All right. I mean, if we have a drinking problem, don't willingly walk into a bar and think, well, I won't drink anything. I won't have, or if I do, it'll just be one, just be one, right? If you got a gambling problem, 
don't walk into a casino and say, oh, I'll just look around, get a hot dog. I won't, I won't gamble. I won't put money into a slot machine. Why put yourself in that situation? So, yeah, we want God. We want to say to God, don't bring us into places where we're likely to fall and to fail. But, Lord, at the same time in this petition, we're saying, don't let us lead ourselves in there either. I mean, because, you know, we, we can lead to situations willingly where we're more likely than less likely to mess up. And so when we think about this prayer, we need to understand that evil is all around us and we're easily tempted and we got to be careful about that. But in a moment, we're going to talk about the nature of sin and what temptation actually is. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork, and we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, specifically the line that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Daryl, we want to spend a little time just drilling in a little bit more to just what temptation is in the Bible just generally. And as I said in the earlier segment, there's a difference between the testing that God does and God allows and the temptation Mm -hmm. that is from James 1, according to what's going on inside of us and our sinful nature that leads us to this place. And we make poor decisions. And so it'd be great to have an understanding of the word tempt and the word temptation. So maybe we can talk about that. And if you go to a website like Bible Gateway, great website, and just search the New International Version of the Bible, for instance, and you look for every occurrence of tempt and temptation, it only occurs 21 times in the Bible, tempt or temptation, only 21 times, all of them in the New Testament, which is interesting. There's no Hebrew word translated as tempt or temptation, at least in the NIV, of the Old Testament. That might surprise you because you think, well, that word must be in Genesis 3, right? It must be in the story of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. Nope, it's not there. However, Genesis 3 is a master course on what, how temptation works. So let's read this passage in Genesis 3 where the temptation happens, even though also subtly. So it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a lot going on there, Scott. Yep. So it's interesting to note, it's kind of just as a sideline before we drill into that a little bit more, the original temptation of humanity begins with the serpent, the devil, saying, did God really say? And then the devil inserts a line that, of course, God had never said. And just as a sideline, that's curious because by the time we get to the three temptations of Jesus in the wilderness much later in the Bible, like in Matthew 4, the serpent or the devil in that case doesn't say, did God really say? Instead, the devil actually quotes the Bible 
and tempts Jesus to test out the truth of it. So in Genesis 3, the devil misquotes God to get the deed done. And in Matthew 4, the devil quotes God accurately, but then misapplies the words of God. And Daryl, I think this is just a good reminder that when it comes to temptation, the devil is an opportunist. He'll do whatever it takes, and he won't necessarily use the same tactic twice. That's one of the reasons that this whole area of temptation is so dodgy and dangerous. Yeah, and the Bible calls him crafty and cunning Mm. for a reason um, because he does whatever he can to trip us up, to confuse us, to get us to the place where we don't believe and take God at his word. And I think it's very interesting that he would, Jesus is the word of life and he would come to him with the word that he inspired Mm. Mm -hmm. and try to get him to be confused about it. Really, really, really interesting that he would do that. Yeah, yeah. And in Genesis 3, to get back to the uh, story, The serpent first says something that makes God sound ridiculously strict. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, of course God never said any such thing. I mean, you think that was such an exaggeration, Eve would never fall for it. And at first it looks like she didn't, but it works anyway because the serpent made God overly strict. But when Eve corrects the serpent, she doesn't correct him quite correctly because she says, God did say we can eat from any tree except the one in the middle of the garden. God said not to eat from that one and also that we may not touch it or we'll die. All right. God never said that. Second part. Got it. God never said the part about not touching it. Eve added that. Why? Well, the serpent got under her skin with the notion that God wasn't being fair and that planted a seed and it germinated. And next thing you know, Eve starts to play the same game and she makes God out to be a little more strict too. It works. That could be its own section of teaching, Mm. Scott, because she got tempted from the devil in a very subtle way, but she overcorrects and she tries to protect the boundary by adding this extra word that God never said. And when that happened, oh, it was checkmate for her because she fell into the same problem that many of us fall into that we think, oh, God's not being fair. He's holding out the goodness on us and he's keeping us from all the good things. And that has never been God's heart and that's never been his intention. And Eve fell for it. And it's a good reminder that this is how it goes for all of us, right? I mean, the serpent didn't come to even say, Eve, eat the fruit. Eat it. Just do it. Eat it. You know, nope, nope. That's not how he got her there. And, you know, think about the area of sexuality. The devil doesn't usually come and say, hey, Go ahead and have sex with that person who's not your spouse. Right. Oh, no, no. Uh, instead, the move number one is, well, you can think about it. Doesn't hurt to fantasize. And then a little later, well, you can flirt now and then. That's harmless. And then, well, you know, go ahead and have some minor physical contact. And then later, well, don't worry if you get into a situation where the two of you are alone. You can control yourself, right? Walter Wongren Jr. has a wonderful book on marriage, As for Me and My House. And he's got a whole chapter entitled Avoiding Adultery. And in that chapter, he talks about the moment of maybe. And he goes on to claim that full-blown affairs always begin with the moment of maybe. Yeah, you just think about it. And that's the subtle way, just as with the serpent, with the fruit, that's the subtle way by which we start going down a path that we ought not go down. Those subtle things that you're talking about, Scott, and the enemy has been very good at this. He uses these very little things to kind of knock us off balance Mm -hmm. just a few degrees. And we know if a ship goes off a few degrees, miles down, we're way off course. Mm -hmm. And you also know the adage about the frog in the pot, of course. If he he gradually turns the heat up on it, he will stay in there and cook to death because he cannot tell that the heat is changing. And that's what happens with these temptations. They start very subtle and we get to justify 
justifying them and making excuses for them, and we run into trouble if we're not careful. You know, as we said when we opened today's program, Daryl, none of us is a stranger to temptations of all kinds. It's a daily reality, and it's more often subtle than overt. But, you know, the Bible assures us that God is here to help us. Jesus understands us. He was, he's been there. He has been tempted in the desert, and he's been tempted at every point in his life and understands what we go through. And the Spirit gives us the power to overcome it thanks to his resurrection. We have access to that. But as we close out this episode, we want to focus on the second half of this prayer, which is deliver us from evil. So stay tuned. In Romans chapter 4, we read that Abraham is the father of all who believe because he lived by faith in God. He certainly is one of the best examples of faith we find in Scripture. This July, we will journey alongside Abraham as he learns how to walk by faith rather than by sight. We will learn that we are all created to follow the Lord on this great adventure of faith. Join today in July for a series of devotions titled Adventures with Abraham. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And we're looking at uh, the last petition of the Lord's Prayer. We've been considering the uh, lead us not into temptation part. And now we go to deliver us from evil. And as we begin this part, Daryl, it's good to uh, notice that in the Greek language of the New Testament, there are two words that sometimes have been translated as evil. One word is kakia. Uh, And Jesus uses that in Matthew 6, not long after he teaches the Lord's Prayer. There's that line in the Sermon on the Mount that the old King James Version used to translate as evil, you know. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That's the old King James. Mm-hmm. But actually, the word there there is kakia, which is a level of badness, but it's not full-blown evil. So more modern translations say each day has enough trouble of its own. That's probably more accurate. But the word we get in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is the word poneros. Now, that's a word that carries with it a number of related meanings, including a sense of bad that we just thought about with that word kakia. But this word is much heavier. Uh, It refers to things that are malign and malevolent, things that are wrong in the sense of being wicked. And so we can see why it's long been translated as evil. Curiously, though, there is some evidence that this can serve almost as a name for the devil, which is why sometimes you see translations of this part of the Lord's Prayer that say not just deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one. And in that sense, when we ask God to deliver us from evil or the evil one, we are asking to be rescued from the entire realm of darkness that opposes God's kingdom of light. So in Ephesians 6, it talks about that kingdom of darkness in verses 12 through 18 and how the enemy's ranks are organized against the people of God in the spiritual battle because our battle is not against flesh and blood. And that kingdom of darkness is the evil that we're asking God to deliver us from. And there is a evil one, namely Satan, who is in charge of all of that. And this is the prayer that we would be equipped to withstand these things that he tries to throw at us on a daily basis. As often as not, the apostles in the New Testament are reminding us not to forget this. The good news of the gospel is well, what Paul says in Colossians 1, for Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loved 
loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And Paul works the same side of the street in Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we're being reminded when we ask God to deliver us from evil, he already has. Love it. He already has. Lean into that, live into that, and don't give in to the temptation to run back into the darkness. That's what Paul's main message to the Colossians was, main message to the Ephesians, Corinthians, all of them. (laughs) You used to be in the dark. Now you're in the light. You used to be dark. Now you just are light. Live like it and don't lapse back into the darkness. Paul is not like telling them to inform them, but he's reminding them. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to remember who you are, remember who you've been called to, remember your identity and your purpose. And Jesus said it in Matthew before, right, in the Sermon on the Mount section, he says, you're the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you can't be hidden. You can't do the things in the dark because your character is to shine the light that you have been given. And as people who are filled with the Spirit, we will make mistakes and we will ask God for forgiveness, but we will continue to strive to allow Christ to have more access to our lives so that we can be the vessels to be used. You quoted that line, and uh, we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount on groundwork here before, but and we noted this at the time, but it is striking, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, work on becoming the light of the world. No, it's just an indicative statement. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And, and Paul has that, that line we just had um, in Ephesians 5. Uh, you are light in the Lord. You mm-hmm. are light. So live as children of the light. So there's that interesting tension that we all have in our lives, right? I mean, on the one hand, Paul is able to be very forceful saying, hey, you are light. And yet he has to follow up that indicative statement with a command, so live like children of the light, right? Because we're in that already in the not yet. We're in between the times. We've been redeemed. We've been justified. We're becoming more sanctified. We're becoming more like Jesus, but we're not there yet. And so, yeah, on the one hand, you are light. And on the other hand, please live like light. (laughs) And we all know that in our own lives, right? We do. And so we hear in the format of Paul's writings that he would show who God is and what God has done and then turns the letter at the epistle to, okay, now that you know all of this, therefore live this way, live this way. You have the power to put to death the deeds of darkness. You have the power to put to death the things in your own flesh that tempt you because the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to do that when you set your mind on things above and when you allow him to dwell in your heart. Those things won't come easy. They will be a process, but as believers, we can help each other with that. In and through Jesus' death and resurrection, the whole cosmos turned the corner from darkness back into light. Light was the first thing God created in Genesis 1, and it's where the Bible ends in Revelation 21 and 22. The city, the new Jerusalem that is, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So that's our destiny, Daryl, in the new creation. We will live in the place where God himself just is our light. You know, the first thing God created was not the sun to shine, just light. He just made light. And at the end, there's just going to be light. No proximate source, just light. And we will live in that light. And the challenge is for us to live that way already now. 
We look forward to the day where there's no more darkness, there's no more sin, no more evil, and no more temptation. We look forward to that. But we can actually borrow the hope that we have for that day and live in this day as an opposition to we're resisting that life. We don't want that life anymore because we have been crucified with Christ and we now live a new life. And we're excited about that. And of course, as you said too, Daryl, there is grace abounding for those times when alas, we do cave into temptation now and then. But the hope is that we can avoid the need for that as we more and more grow and mature in Jesus. God hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. And join us again next time as we conclude our study of the Lord's Prayer. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 